Before we get into today's episode of One Shining Podcast, want to shout out our friends at FanDuel TV. If you're not watching FanDuel TV, go do it now. There is a great slate of Ringer shows that are out there, and I am on one of those shows. It is called Through the Ringer. Myself and Cousin Sour on the Tuesday episodes. We have Nora on the Friday episodes, plus um, a variety of Ringer talent that come through the show and get us up to speed on what's happening everywhere in the world of sports and entertainment and everything else in between. So uh, go check out FanDuel TV now. The Ringer Wise guys are taking over the weekend uh, for all the football games. So it is going to be a great Sunday of football and FanDuel TV will keep you up to date on what's happening. If you can't watch it live on FanDuel TV, you can go to Spotify and check out the Ringer TV feed. Go watch that. Go do that now. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we are doing title tiers. That is right. We are going to do some tier talk today. I have created four separate tiers, and I have put a lot of teams as title contenders because, again, it is only January, so uh, we are not at the point where we can start cutting the list down. I have seen a lot of people put out a list of seven or eight teams. I have decided to include everybody because uh, I think that everybody still has a shot. Uh, you know, we, we still have time to grow into who we are. So we're going to do some title tiers with Eamon Brennan. That is right. Eamon Brennan is back on the show. We're also going to talk about campaign season. The player of the year wooden award watch is fully on right now and teams are putting out their campaign uh, for each player that they believe in personally. We're going to talk about the three bid ACC, which is um, becoming ridiculous at this point. I am going to try to argue on behalf of the ACC and Eamon is going to try to make me calm down. So we'll see how that goes. Um, we're also going to talk about, uh, you know, the ringer draft guide at the end of the show. KOC just put out his draft guide. Some college basketball players that are notable are on the draft guide. We'll also talk about the big inflatables in college basketball. It's a big thing. The Pac-2 going undefeated against Arizona. Uh, Bill Walton on the call for Pac-12 after dark. All good things in college basketball. Kyle, anything else before we get into today's episode? No, big win for Patino and Pitbull. And I'm going to go to the doctor, <laughs> see if I can get some Adderall to watch these Saturday games because we got a million of a million. them. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. Welcome back to One Shining Podcast. It is Friday, January 26th, and we have so much to talk about today. We're going to do some tier talk and joining us to help us uh, figure out what's happening in the world of college basketball. He's the great Eamon Brennan. Eamon, great to see you, man. Glad to be here. How's it going? It's going well, and uh, there's a lot happening in college basketball, and uh, I think a lot of people have pointed it out. It's a stacked Saturday. We have a lot of games to watch. It's impossible to even watch all these games. Um, so that is the the point of the season where you're just trying to sift through all the things that are happening. But I want to start here because what is happening is campaign season. And no, I'm not talking about that campaign. I'm talking about college basketball player of the year campaigns. And I have been sifting through all the social media uh, of these teams, trying to figure out who is starting their campaigns. And I have four guys that have been put out to the world as, hey, we are candidates. We are throwing our hats in the ring. We know it's Zach Eady's race to lose at this point. Um, but right now, R.J. Davis in North Carolina, they said that we are campaigning for player of the year. Deron Holmes of Dayton says he is campaigning for player of the year, at least to be first-team All-American. You throw your hat in the ring, you know, you might end up getting a first-team All-American. Zach Eady, of course, is, is out there. Purdue is putting out on the press. And then a fun one that I just saw, Jameer Young. Uh, who Maryland is is coining the most clutch player in America. That is official. And uh, if you look at the numbers here, points in the last five minutes, Jameer Young leads the country with 68 points. Next closest is Wade Taylor at Texas A&M. So these are the four candidates that have thrown their hats in the ring for National Player of the Year. Um, how do we feel about these four guys? And is there one that stands out that you say maybe their campaign could help them at least be in the conversation with Zach Eady? 
I think I, I, I love the, um, the ambition of Maryland and Jameer Young. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's like Dean Phillips level throwing yeah. your hat into the ring. Like, hey, I, like I, I might as well. I might as well. Um, yeah, they're like, we're here. Why not? <laughs> yeah, we need alternatives in this discussion. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think for me, um, this conversation, it's obviously Zach Eady, um, but this conversation um, in terms of campaigning, I, I'm probably most supportive of Deron Holmes. Because, um, first of all, I think he's probably been the second best player in college basketball this year. Um, and again, Edie is so, so good and so above everybody else that um, it, that is kind of a title in itself. You know, in most years, um, what Deron Holmes is doing would be enough to, you know, to, to put you in the, uh, firmly in the like, actual player of the year discussion. Um, and I also think it's worth campaigning because he plays for Dayton. And most people who are not hardcore college basketball fans, probably even a few college basketball fans, um, we're not super familiar with him or his career um, or his development and, and are probably just now, you know, in late January coming around to the kind of um, player that he's become, which is a totally dominant force for a Dayton team that is um, having its best year since the the pandemic canceled the Obi Toppin season when they were going to mm. be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, most likely. Um, and so, yeah, all in on the on, on the sort of Dayton story and the narrative. And he's the the main reason for it really i mean they've got a good balanced team they they um shoot the lights out from the perimeter um himself included uh as a 610 forward which is which is doubly impressive but yeah i think deron holmes is the guy who really needs campaigning for um because he plays at a place for that you know that national exposure is you just have to be really really good to get it and he's been he's been that good that's basically the campaign from Dayton. They're saying the player that you need to know in college basketball. You know, it's like in case you missed it, Deron Holmes is here. He is uh, six foot eleven. He's going to be, you know, according to KOC and our Ringer Draft Guide, a first round pick. So um, he's someone that you do need to know. And it is interesting. You mentioned that race with Obi Toppin. I mean, it's kind of similar. It kind of mirrors this year where it's like R.J. Davis is the Cassius Winston, right? Deron Holmes is the Obi Toppin there at Dayton, and then Zach Eadie's the Luca Garza. Um, you know what I mean? But this is the the first year. Then Luca Garza obviously won it the next year and he could have easily gone back to back uh, in the same way that Zach Eadie's going back to back. So um, I do find the race fascinating. I always find the campaigning fascinating. I think social media has taken the campaigning aspect to a different level. Um, also, it opens the door for someone like a Maryland to say, hey, how about our guy? Um, and, and, you know, it's just like in politics. You just throw your hat out there and you say, hey, I think I could be a good president. Why not me? I could be a good candidate and we'll see what the people say. Right. And then uh, we'll drop out of the race accordingly. But um, obviously, it's a it's really a one man race. It's Zach Eady who doesn't even need to campaign. And honestly, Purdue's almost doing like a double campaign. Braden Smith. They're putting out there. It leads the country in total assists, right? They're they're doing their own. Like there's like a two prong attack here from the Purdue team, um, and and we love their Big Ten stats of the day. They love to to make sure that you know how dominant they have been. And uh, with Braden Smith and Zach Eady, I mean, I think Purdue's going to take the campaigning to the next level. And they have a they have a president, they have a VP, um, and they have a team that's that's number one in the country. So uh, I, I think Purdue is probably the team that is going to benefit the most from the campaigning. And and it honestly helps with the fallout from losing to a 16 seed, right? Like I, I do feel like the PR. We're not even talking about that anymore when it comes to Purdue. Agree. Yeah, I think. Um... You know, again, we we discussed this uh, all the way back in the fall when the season was getting ready to start. But like the parallels with um, the Virginia team, you know, it, with that Virginia team, they talked about it kind of all year, but but they were the first to ever do it. And so it was a constant 
conversation and even like with their local media and um, you know, it, it went away for a while and then you rev back up to the ACC tournament and you go to the ACC tournament, which just so happens to be in Charlotte where you got, you know, you got upset and it's this massive elephant in the room at every press conference and they're kind of trying to be upfront with it and, you know, talk about it openly in a way that even like some media members it's, are kind of like nervous to ask them because they feel bad. And it's a whole awkward thing. Um, and Purdue hasn't had that. Maybe that'll come back up once we get cl- a little closer to the tournament. But generally, it's been very positive, very much about how um, Zach Eady has improved, how Braden Smith has improved, and those freshman guards that we were talking about making a, a, a sort of physical leap have gotten there. Um, you know, they're more versatile. You know, with Trey Kaufman, Wren playing more minutes now, they basically have three or four different options they can play next to Eady um, and on the wing. So, um, yeah, Purdue is is as good as kind of advertised coming into the season and it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from here. Yeah. Let's talk about the net, uh, the net rankings, obviously a point of conversation always. Uh, I have the net rankings, the the average net of the conferences in front of me. And then I just want to run through them. And then I want to talk about the bids because uh, you know, we, we already have the, uh, the Joe Lenardi bracketology out. Uh, everybody's got their, uh, you know, Mike DeCourcy's of the world, right? Everyone's got this going. But if you look at the net and the strength of schedule right now, so Big 12, obviously their average net, 35 and a half. Big East at 41. SEC at 46. Mountain West at 56. ACC 66. Big 10, 66.5. Pac-12, 84.5. And then the A-10 at 94. So that is the average net of the teams in the conference in order. Um, the Mountain West is obviously the team that everybody is saying they're going to get five teams. They're going to get six teams. Um, that's a conversation we can have, you know, a, a different time. They're great at home, not great on the road. That's kind of been the story with the conference in general. But the ACC, as I see it now, and as I see the bubble boys talking, they're saying three bid ACC, Eamon. And uh, I just want to <laughs> ask you, are we doing this again? Is this happening where the, the ACC and the Pac-12 have now been grouped together and they're both being listed as three bid leagues? Do we think that's the reality? Like these are going to be three. It's going to be North Carolina Duke and insert third ACC team, whether it be Clemson or Wake Forest. Is that the case or do we think it's going to be closer to five, six as it typically is? No, I mean, it's. I think it's closer to four right now um, and, and probably closer to yeah to to five or six eventually maybe five is like a comfortable number i think clemson is easily in the tournament right now i don't think you know they've obviously been trending a bit down since the start of conference play but um you know i think bracket matrix has them as like a five or six seed still so it's not uh like they're down on the bubble in any meaningful way um and then you know like wake forest is on the bubble i think they're talented enough to get into the tournament the the problem is where you go from there. I think Virginia will figure it out and probably sneak into the tournament eventually. Um, I don't think Syracuse will. I don't know that Miami will. I'm very confused about Miami. They need to they need to sort the the defensive end out in a major way here because they're just not as potent as they were offensively last season. Um, and not only are they not better than their preseason, you know, underlying rankings like at Kempom and, and elsewhere, they they seem to be worse. Um, yeah, I think. You know, the problem, again, part in part with the ACC here is um, I think maybe a bit of non-conference scheduling issues have maybe weighed down the league. But I think mostly it's it's the team, at, the teams at the bottom of the league, um, you know, your Georgia Techs, your Louisville's, uh, your Notre Dame's this season are really weighing down the bottom of the league in the way that like the Big Ten doesn't have. You know, the Big Ten does not have a terrible team in it. 
Um, I think Rutgers might be its lowest ranked team on Ken Palm, and they're still in the top 100. Now, the Big Ten is not very good this year. Like, I'm not arguing like the Big Ten is an amazing top to bottom conference. It's not. It's just they don't. The bottom isn't way down at the bottom in the yeah. way that that it is in the ACC. And so um, that takes its toll. You know, you play these games and these metrics are looking at you and Louisville's a little bit scrappier than they were early in the year or whatever. And you beat them by five at home. And it's, hey, we're happy. Everybody claps hands and, and walks <laughs> off the court. You're happy with the win. Maybe the net doesn't like it quite so much. And yes. that's frustrating for folks. But like that is kind of, you know, it's it's trying to assess performance beyond just wins and losses, which which is what the what the RPI was. And it was a very crude metric. And so you get into these situations where if your league is just has a bit of some, you know, a bit of struggle over the course of two, three seasons, you kind of get in this hole where, you know, we think of the ACC when I was growing up, the ACC was the best conference in the country pretty routinely, if not the best, then, then close. And it hasn't been there in a few years now. And I think, um, you know, some some really strong tournament runs aside and the top of the league being really good with Duke and UNC and, and inserts and other, um, it just, it, the, the middle and particularly the bottom have been kind of weighing it down and, and damaging those teams that could get in the tournament otherwise. Yeah, you can blame the bottom. I do think that there is something to be said about the net because, like you said, from 1985 to 2018, before the net was created in 2019, ACC best NCAA tournament performance uh, performance as far as wins, 318. Best win percentage, 66% of games they go and win, right, in the NCAA tournament. Starts in 2019. So in the last four NCAA tournaments since 2019, the net has ranked the ACC the fifth, the fifth, the fifth, and the seventh best conference in college basketball um, during those four uh, you know, years of the tournament. But on the flip side, in the tournament, the ACC has won 47 games. That's the most of any major conference with 24 bids. Big 12 is second with 41 wins. The Big 10 is third with 36 wins. SEC, 33 wins. Big East, 24 wins. Pac-12, 24 wins. So the net itself is, uh, I don't know, I don't know if uh, it's the war versus the ACC with the net, <laughs> but the net is, uh, the bottom has completely changed the narrative of the ACC, even though the results in the tournament don't necessarily showcase that. But it is this kind of battle of what is the the metric say versus what is the result say when it comes down to the actual basketball. And I think that's where ACC fans are ripping their hair out because they're saying, I watched Miami as a five seed go to the final four and they looked a whole lot better than a five seed. And we watched them during the season and they looked a whole lot better than a five seed. But the metrics the whole year say this, this and that, you know, fifth, 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 seventh. But the results say you know, one, two, or three, depending on, you know, how the cookie crumbles. And obviously conference conversations are always tough. But I do think that the net, um, if it lends itself to the ACC, once again, getting three or four teams, um, and they do make a run in the tournament, um, the ACC, you know, conference, whatever, the powers that be, they're going to have to do something about the bottom of the league or like help with the scheduling, hire one of these firms that Nate Oates has to help them figure <laughs> out how to predict who's going to be, you know, top 150 in Kimpon because it's getting to an egregious level. And I see the bubble boys. I have to tip my cap to them. The The commitment to the bit, I have to respect. I, I There's nothing <laughs> that you can say against it. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you can't argue against it. But the, it is wild to me when I see the numbers, and then I see the results, and then I'm trying to compute what's actually happening here because I don't feel like it's as bad as a three-bid league. And I'm not saying it should be an eight-bid league, but I think we're more in the middle than we are on the drastic side. And I think it's it gets reaction to be on the drastic side. Yeah, and I think, yes, it's very easy when you are trying to drum up some interest in um college basketball or your bracket content uh in <laughs> late january to be like the acc is a three-bed league people will you know 
stop and I, I click. Not- Eamon, I have to admit, I click. I'm like, yeah. I, I you, you stopped. You stopped scrolling, didn't you? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you didn't scroll past that. You stopped, um, <laughs> just like a lot of other people did. I do think it, it's probably more realistic just to talk the the nitty gritty of it this this season. Like, again, I say I think Virginia is going to figure it out. Jordan Miner is playing way better for them now, so they have a bit more of an interior defensive core and different looks they can throw at teams. And they, you know, they actually won a game on the road the other day. Granted, it was a Georgia Tech, but they didn't get, you know, they had been getting beaten horribly by everyone they played on the road. So I felt like they got over some sort of mental hurdle in that game, by the way, because they were down early. It felt like, oh, my God, here we go again. Right. And then it's something sort of clicked. So I, I was very encouraged by that win at Georgia Tech. Yeah, they look better. And I mean, I think Wake Forest is talented enough to get in the tournament. You know what I mean? Like, just get it And win games in the tournament. Yeah, 100%. So, um, you know, I think it's it's could be very easily a five-bid league. Um, and then, you know, that's not like vintage ACC when you've got all these teams in the league, but it's it's not like some embarrassment to the conference. Um, but, you know, I mean, those those net average net numbers that you were talking about kind of dovetail with Ken Pong. You know, it was the seventh strongest conference in in Ken Palm, and that's just average adjusted efficiency. And I think we kind of take Ken Palm's numbers pretty seriously on most of this stuff. And average is a tricky thing because, again, it's the bottom of the league. Like there can when you be have some an really outlier, yeah. When you yeah, have a Louisville yeah. or Notre Dame, it's going to obviously bring down the median. And right, <laughs> that's that, going to be a problem. Right, and so that's always been the classic thing about talking about conference strength. Is like, I think some people think conference strength and they think okay like how good are your good teams how many Mm -hmm. potential final four teams do you have in the league that's how strong the league is or whatever and some people and particularly the you know metrics look at the entire league and everything is an input that goes into the you know that goes into the spreadsheet and gets calculated and spits back out how strong your your league is meant to be and it's not always like you don't always have to hold it as objective truth, but I do think we can say that the ACC over the last few years has not been the ACC that we grew up with, despite having some really good teams at the top. Yeah, and there's always like more nuance in it, but like you said, when you see the three-bid league, you go crazy. Uh, also, Arizona <laughs> loses to the Oregon State, who is a team that's an outlier that brings down the Pac-12's metrics, and you know when you lose to a team like that, it, it hurts everybody in the league, so Arizona losing that game, that was tough for the Pac-12. They're also listed as a three-bid league right now, so um, in the last year, the Pac-12, the women's side of the Pac-12 looks great. The men's side, not so much. Uh, before we get into the cut to the title tiers I want to do with you, Eamon, one last thing. Women's college basketball uh right now they are uh ticket prices are up 44 percent across women's college basketball game tickets for the game last night south carolina lsu 1300 dollars a ticket um to get into that building they have college game day there um you know caitlin clark is the biggest star in college basketball there's probably four or five women's players that come to mind before someone can get to you know maybe zach Eady's third or fourth in that list but there's a lot of women's players and there's a lot of interest in women's basketball they're doing a great job of marketing the sport. And on the flip side, the men's game, not so much. Uh, is there anything like lessons we can take from the women's side, which is kind of wild to say about marketing the the players that are in our game? Because even on the women's side, like before the game, Angel Reese has an IFB in and she's doing an interview during shoot around. At halftime, they interview the players. They don't interview just the coaches. Like they're, you know, then you got Kim Mulkey's wearing a Coca-Cola branded jacket. You know what I mean? Like I need Will Wade in a branded jacket. Uh, I just I just feel like there's a lot of things that the women's game is doing, both with the characters of the coaches and the characters of the players and promoting them 
that the men's game is almost getting in, I'm not going to say baseball territory, but you start walking that path where it's like, how do we make stars in college basketball again? And it feels like the women are doing it, but the men's side is struggling a little bit. Yeah, I'd say that's that's fair enough. I mean, I think um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when I saw uh, like, a, you know, one of these like viral t- things on Twitter that are like every word has a paragraph space between it or whatever. But it was like um, asking who on college basketball would would be on the, the video game if there was an NCAA video game this year. Yeah, right. And people were like, Caitlin Clark. Like that's who would be on the game. You know what I mean? They'd have there would be a men's and a women's mode, which there is in like FIFA and stuff this, these days as well. And she would be by far the choice to to um to sell the game. And I don't know that you can really compete with that. I mean, she's like a Steph Curry level star, and and has re, has had like a crossover moments, and to the point where you know there's now a backlash for her getting run into <laughs> like during a court storm like you yeah, see people right. being like oh, i don't know she kind of flopped here um like <laughs> the caitlin clark backlash is happening I, I don't think there's anyone in men's college basketball with that kind of um like buzz and I, I think trying to manufacture that would almost be impossible we've had players like that in the last decade-ish 15 years but it's um, you're right that it's harder and harder to do. I mean, Zion was probably the last one really where there was just like mm-hmm. this, you got to watch this guy play. Like, yeah. It's like a fervor over him. Yeah. Yes, right. Everything like, he does. Sports we're Center, watching. The, right. You know, the people at ESPN get, get hip really quick to the fact that like people are tuning in to watch this guy. Let's get him on sports center. Let's get him high up in the, in the run order. Like, um, so th- you know, we've had those guys. They're just, you know, <laughs> nice gentlemanly Zach Eady and his, uh, <laughs> constant left shoulder right hooks are not gonna like get people you know casual fans quite as interested as as somebody like zion williamson but i do agree with you um to get back around to your point that like the the women's game has had to play catch up for so long in terms of gaining attention and retaining attention that i think the the of women's games and sort of the attention paid to it comes from a place of like all right we're all promoting this together we're all working on this together you know, the the media and the fans and the TV companies kind of have to be in on this together as a, as a sort of show of support for women's sports um, because it doesn't have the audience, but it's growing and we want it to grow and we're very positive about this stuff. And that's all great. And I think that's led to some of the stuff you see where like, yeah, our players can be interviewed at halftime for sure, whatever you need. Like that stuff doesn't happen in men's college basketball because that that relationship is a slightly more adversarial one um, maybe <laughs> right. between the Just media and, <laughs> between the media and the and TV and coaches and stuff it's like you know getting you know you couldn't get coach K to do a sideline interview for, interview for like the last 20 years of his career and most of these mm-hmm. coaches will give you two word answers and then run off to the locker room like I mean, um, even Kenny Payne, who like if there's anybody that should be trying to endear himself to the media, he's got <laughs> Danny Manning doing his radio show. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, <laughs> just leave it be. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think that the the way it's kind of grown up with that relationship makes everybody a little bit more likely to like try different stuff and be a little bit more promotional. And I think that that's been a, a positive for the women's game that, you know, the men's game could use, I think. um. The men's game has existed as sort of mass media for a lot longer and probably takes a lot of that stuff for granted at this point, but maybe shouldn't. 
Yeah. And it's time that we all uh, start rowing in the same direction as far as, you know, trying to promote the product that is there because there is there are stories and there are characters. And uh, I just want to shout out the women's game. And then also Caitlin Clark, 177 points shy of the scoring record. That's going to be like an ESPN countdown ticker that's happening very soon. You know what I mean? So there's going to be oh, yeah. a, a lot more coverage of that. And then uh, she's mocked to go number one to the Indiana Fever. And I just in my mind, if there's one state that I think she could go to that actually would get behind her and get behind the WNBA team. It does feel like Indiana. So I, I do think all things are pointing towards Caitlin Clark uh, staying in the zeitgeist in the conversation. So there you go. Now let's do uh, the tiers of uh, title contenders. I always find this funny. This is the time of year where people put out like the teams that could win the national championship, right? And we get like the rain from like six teams to 12 teams. Um, and, you know, if anytime you do that, honestly, I feel like there's a team that comes out of the the 25 that ends up winning the championship because, you know, once you start putting it out there, there's something in the universe that keeps it from being, uh, you know, an actualized thing. So I decided to make some tiers and uh, I have four categories for title contenders. I have the favorites. I have works in progress. I have wild cards. I have see it, see it to believe it. I'll read out the teams and then we'll highlight a couple in each category. Even, and we'll, we'll try to sift through this as best we can. These are the tiers of the OSP committee. Um, we do not, you know, this is this this fluid. We we can fluctuate. We can move guys around. So let's start with um, the see it to believe it category, which is, uh, you know, these teams have the talent. Um, they have the pieces in place. We think that they could win the national championship, but there's something in your mind when you close your eyes, you can't quite see it being reality. And let's start with the number one team uh, in the see it to believe it category. That's Purdue. Um, and we'll talk about Purdue, but I want to run through these other uh, teams. So Purdue is there. FAU is there. Wisconsin is there. Illinois is there, Texas Tech, Utah State, South Carolina, Northwestern. Love the backcourt at Northwestern. I uh, want to see it travel. want to see the shooting splits, you know, on a neutral side or a road side as opposed to the home, uh, you know, home side. Providence, Colorado State, Nebraska, Gonzaga. Who even knows if the Zags will be in the tournament, but I still have them in the conversation for now. So let's start with Purdue. Um, I have them see it to believe it. It's because they lost to a 16 seed. I feel like that's why that's just where they have to be um, out of respect. Uh, it's not because I don't think they can go win the national championship. But where are we on Purdue right now? Are we buying into Lance Jones as an X factor and this team being good enough to go win the national championship in Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, I think there are going to be a lot of angry Purdue fans um, <laughs> replying to I, you. I have to I see just it let to believe know. it. Yeah. Uh, Tate made these. I did not make the tears. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think honestly, I think it's kind of fair. They lost. They they lost to Fairleigh Dickinson in the first round with the National Player of the Year, who's going to be the two-time National Player of the Year um, as a number one seed. And the year before that, honestly, not as bad, but still kind of bad. Yeah, St. Peter's an elite eight shot on the line and a real chance to go to the Final Four out of that region. They lose to St. Peter's, and that game, you know, you want to talk about not having guard play last year, fair enough. But you had Jaden Ivey in that game, and he just sort of stood around, like mm -hmm. dribbling the air out of the ball at the top of the key and then launching 30-footers and trying to throw himself into the middle of St. Peter's defense. It's just like, dude. Also, a, even uh, I will say in that game, you just watched the St. Peter's team beat Kentucky. So like yeah. it's not like you were shocked that they were going to be a good basketball team. Like FDU, I could understand like there's kind of like a shock to the system. Wow, this team's a 16 seed, but they have really good guard play and they're well coached. I mean, that can kind of hit you in the moment, you know, like what happened with UNBC. But um, to know that St. Peter's was going to be that good and already have the year before it lose to North Texas, which is the reason that Ivy came back in the first place. So you got three straight, you know, tournament scenarios 
that give me pause. And that's why you're seeing it to believe it, despite the fact that you're one of the most dominant programs, if not the most dominant program in college basketball right now. Yeah, I mean, if, I think if if you removed any of that and and Purdue had just had sort of somewhat normal tournament history in the last four to five years, you know, even if they hadn't made a Final Four, but they'd gone to a couple of Elite Eights, they were close, you know, um, then, yeah, this would maybe be unfair. But I think it's, we all know how good Purdue is. You can mentally put them in the favorites category, but um, <laughs> they got, you know, those first couple weeks of the tournament, those first couple games in the tournament, particularly that first game, again, go back to the Virginia year, they were losing in the first half in the, the year they won the national title against the 16th seed again. Mm-hmm. And the entire building was um, as anxious of a place I've, as I've ever been in my life to the point where I can still remember like feeling anxious, even though I, you know, have no rooting interest. Um, Purdue, it's going to be like that. It's going to be really bad. And even if they beat the 16 seed, it's going to be like that two days later when they have the second weekend on the line. So it's a lot to get through. And it's, you know, it's not super fair because we play a long season beforehand, but that's how things work. And that's the last sort of stage that Purdue needs to, needs to get over. And I, and I will say this, if I put Purdue in the favorites, that's actually disrespectful to FDU and it's disrespectful to Purdue because that means that I'm giving them a pass. I didn't give Virginia a pass. Even though I picked them to win the national championship in 2019, I didn't give them a pass. When they had Gardner-Webb as their matchup, I said, that's a bad matchup. Uh, Gardner-Webb, I mean, Artis Gilmore played at Gardner-Webb. They have a history with basketball. They, they've they yeah. had good coaches. Chris Holtman coached there. So uh, it was a bad matchup. Virginia got over that mental hurdle, and they go and win uh, on, on one of the most epic runs we've seen to a title in quite some time. I mean, ultimate redemption. So hopefully Purdue, as we talked about earlier in the season, can follow the formula. Another team I want to talk about and see it to believe it because I do believe in the backcourt Northwestern um, they are incredible at home they beat Purdue number one team in the country they beat Illinois top 10 team at home Boo Booey is a uh, certified great guard Um, he's a guy that can get you a bucket in the tournament we love guard play in the tournament Um, do we think Northwestern can be a team that can make some noise because I like the coaching too as much as I make fun of Chris Collins at times I do think he's a good basketball coach and this team has bought in and I think the backcourt is good enough to make a Sweet 16 run. And who knows what happens once you get to the second weekend. Yeah, I agree completely. I think um, we've seen them raise their level. I think the thing with Boo Boo is particularly is like they run very simple stuff for him. Um, it's literally just, you know, particularly in, in crunch time, it's like run a ball screen at him, get a switch if you can get it, kind of force a switch. It's very NBA style stuff. And you just space the floor, get a switch. And Boo Booey with the ball in his hands against a guy who's not as quick as him, and that's most of college basketball, even other guards, but particularly when he gets a favorable switch, is really difficult to keep out of his spots. You know, he gets to like, you know, five, eight, ten feet, maybe pivots once, gets back to his right hand, and it's usually two points. And, and that kind of ability, you know, if Northwestern as a team structure can stay in games um, with their defense, particularly. Uh, which doesn't do a whole lot well except force turnovers. Um, if they mm-hmm. don't force a turnover, they're kind of a mess. But if they can stay in games and and keep it to where you, yeah, like you get Purdue in a high leverage situation in your own building and you're forcing switches and you're making like Mason Gillis try and guard Boo Booey in, in a situation where um, it's bucket for bucket on both ends of the floor, then yeah, you like Northwestern a lot. And I think that translates to the tournament really well. If they can, if they can you know, finish it off and get in. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Northwestern. I have been impressed with the wins and uh, Michael Wilbon was going crazy yesterday on PTI about them having the best home court advantage in all of college basketball. I'm not quite there. 
but I like what Chris Collins is doing in Northwest. It's a bit so much. Get, it's a, <laughs> it's a, bit, it's much. a bit much, <laughs> but you know, hey, I respect when, you know, you, you sometimes you just got to show your bias a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, like you said, the committee made this see it's a believe it category. It was not even, it was not an Indiana bias behind it. Even though the Indiana people in my life have pointed out that Purdue still needs to show they can even go to the final four, um, yet alone win a national championship. That's what they like to say. So I'll I don't leave think it Indiana there. should talk too much after what happened in <laughs> Assembly Hall. It's probably time to just for Indiana to just keep its head down. We'll focus on getting over that hump that Woody keeps talking about. Yeah, let's get over the hump, Woody. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the wild card team. So these are teams that you get in the tournament, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, wow, they just made a run to the Final Four. Thanks San Diego State last year, um, FAU. Um, I had them in the seat to believe it, but they would be a wild card last year. Um, so here are the teams. Texas A&M, Dayton, TCU, Princeton, Seton Hall, Iowa State, New Mexico, Michigan State, which is always a dicey proposition in March, Indiana State, Kansas State, Florida State, Vermont, McNeese, Nevada, Grand Canyon, Wake Forest, St. John's, and VCU. Uh, shout out to Ryan Odom at VCU. I think that is a team that people need to keep an eye on. But let's start with Dayton. Um, Dayton has not made a tournament in seven years because 2020, there was no tournament. They would have obviously been in the tournament. And a lot of people think they could have made the Final Four with Obi Toppin. Is Dayton a Final Four caliber team, do we think? Do we think this is actually a year they can make a little redemption run from what we lost in 2020? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, they have, again, as we discussed uh, towards the top of the show, like, they have a national player of the year level, you know, force in their interior. They shoot the ball extremely well around him. Um, they have good guard play um, from guys like Kobe Elvis and Javon Bennett. Like they're really solid all the way around. Good wing play, like good defensively, not amazing defensively. I think offense is their best strength, but they're they're still arguably possibly the best defensive team in the A10 um, or or thereabouts. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Dayton can absolutely do that, and and it would be nice to see because I think, you know, you you mentioned the 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 lost opportunity because of the COVID tournament cancellation. You know, the, that following year, like Gonzaga and Baylor, it was like, oh, this is you know Gonzaga and Baylor's chance to redeem their their amazing season that they didn't get to finish the year before. Very true, particularly Baylor. That's why all those guys came back, right? But like Dayton didn't get that chance because when you're Dayton you don't just turn around the next year and be a number one seed again, usually. Like, you build gradually, and, and if everything goes right, you end up with a player like Obi Toppin or like Deron Holmes. That takes time. Um, and building, the, you know, the, the structures around him take time. Um, it's not an overnight thing at a program like Dayton. And Anthony Grant has gradually built this back into a team that can, I think, 100% compete for a Final Four, and it would be nice to see them give it a, a real go considering um, how good they were that year and, and that they didn't have a chance to really pursue it. And the Flyers are the best fans around. I mean, they are diehard college basketball fans. Uh, they the are first great. four, I mean, they, they go pull and watch other teams play, and they're like, I like this kid number 10 on, you know, what, you know what I mean? Like, these are the type of fans you're dealing with where they Real just love college basketball. Yeah, right. They love it, man. They, they, they love it. We need more Dayton Flyers in the world for college basketball's sake. So I, it would be great to see them get that redemption. Another team in the wild cards that I think has somehow been under the radar, and I think they're going to get this might be the first time we get a two bid uh, Ivy League in the tournament because Princeton might be an at-large bid. Uh, Mitch Henderson's team last year, Sweet 16 run. Um, they get everybody's best shot this year, you would think, but they're playing great basketball. They have a lot of talent. They have an NBA guy in Lee. Um, do we think Princeton is a team that we're not talking enough about and they could make a run and, and maybe even grow on what they did last year, this year? Yeah, it's shocking, actually, um, that I think it, you know, it looks like Princeton is a better team this year than they were a year ago, and they had a guy... Uh, and Tosin 
above one who i think i just i think i got that right it took me a while last march but i, I think i got it <laughs> everybody um, it took a it took a while for nba guys i, I heard tough. different executives call them different names but uh yeah tosan you just stick with tosan <laughs> and you're, you're usually good um but yeah he he was such a, a, a not just integral to how they played being like a a sort of six seven point forward um, he was almost like an Evan Turner of that team or something. Yes, you know what I mean? very like much. He, that's a great, that's a great combo. He very, very um, unique player in that. Very good with the ball in his hands. Very good pushing up the floor. Not a shooter, right? But also mm-hmm. a good rebounder. Can play in the middle of the floor um, with four guys rotating around him. Uh, kind of slithery to the rim. Like very interesting, unique guy. And to lose a guy like that and kind of go now back to a more conventional, like this is how Princeton plays type of system. Um, you wouldn't assume they'd they'd be able to improve on on what they were last year, but yeah, they're they're um, all those guys who were so good against Arizona and and had that moment of like, okay, who's this? Okay, who's this? Like, let me get these guys' backstory. What's their deal? What year are they? Um, <laughs> all those you know sort of surrounding pieces around him um, are now stars and playing like it, and it's a really really good mid major basketball team, really good Ivy League team. Yeah, and it's, I mean, they lost guys like Lane Borga, who goes to Northwestern, right? So, I mean, even mm-hmm. guys that were on the team last year, they they kind of had guys get poached and moved up, and they still, Mitch Henderson's a great coach. Uh, we had him on the podcast, really nice guy. And uh, so, shout out to Coach Henderson. Um, another two, you know, just people we want to point out in the wildcard category, obviously McNeese State, um, or McNeese as they're going by now. Will Wade in the tournament is going to be a wild card to say the least. And then Rick Patino at St. John's. Um, I, I like the way that this team is kind of growing together. I love the the moving Simeon Wilcher to the two. I think making him play the one was just too much responsibility. But him as the combo guard, and then you have a true point guard next to him. That is a that is a nice uh, decision that Rick Pitino and that team has made. And I think St. John's is kind of clicking uh, right now. They have uh, the down to business Dennis Jenkins, and then they have the fun, affable Joel Soriano type. You know, they have a nice mix with this group. So um, that's going to be fun to have Will Wade and Rick Pitino back in the NCAA tournament. Uh, works in progress. Uh, these are teams that could be favorites if they get everything together and uh, they have the talent there. Um, let's start with the Duke Blue Devils. Um, Sean Stewart coming off the bench, being a spark plug. It's a nice piece for them. Uh, so you got Duke, Creighton, Baylor, San Diego State, Marquette, Alabama, St. Mary's, Villanova, BYU, Colorado, Memphis, and I put Miami. Um, and Miami might be a stretch, but I still think Miami could win the ACC tournament and, and it all starts to click and who knows what it looks like in March Madness because they do have a lot of talent. Um, let's talk about Duke because Duke is a team that uh, everyone's just waiting for it to click, right? That That is kind of the conversation about Duke. What do you like about this team and do you think that they have, you know, kind of the the parts to go on a run to win a national championship? Yeah, I mean, I think Duke is talented. I think Duke has generally figured out how to use Mark Mitchell over the course of the season, which is a tricky thing because he's... Yeah, since the dad tweet, I don't know if you saw his dad's tweet where he was basically like, uh, they're not using Mark Mitchell correctly. Like, we got to figure something out. Like, since that I hadn't tweet, seen that. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Since he tweeted that, everything has been hunky dory. You know what I mean? Like, it's been great. So maybe maybe that was the moment where <laughs> maybe Shire maybe Shire out. sent him a text and was like, you know what? You're actually 100 percent right. This is yeah, the right. this is the first How time should in history we use that, him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the first time in history that a parent's tweet was actually taken sincerely and used to improve the team. Um, yeah, I, you know, I like what they have. I think with Duke, it's interesting because Filipowski is obviously an awesome player and super productive and everything sort of runs through and around him, 
you know, when they're when they're playing well. Um, Duke all year for me has been a team where it's like, I know they're effective and they're not like an, you know, a grinder team in, in the same way. Like they're a good, efficient offensive team that shoots the ball pretty well, particularly relative to last year. I don't know what it is about them. They, their style just doesn't like flow in the way that I prefer. So I've always, I've always been a little bit cold on them, even though it's not like, it's not objective do you know what i mean like it's kind of yeah. a weird reason to not be super all about them because they get it done like they have, the points are are there you know what i mean it's like it's not it's not like they're not scoring the ball it's just like i sit and watch them i'm like could this be a little bit more could could guys move off the ball a little bit more here could this be a little bit more free-flowing and, and a little bit less ball screen dependent and basically it's a lot dependent. of staccato like uh, on the team in general and it's like a lot of your turn my turn like it's yeah. Caleb Foster's turn it's Jared McCain's turn it's Tyrese Proctor's turn but they yeah. had the talent there and then you know I think Filipowski I, I still feel like he has another level to get to I really do and I know he's been playing great and if you look at all the player of the year he's top five sometimes top three but I do think that he can get to another level at least from my vantage point but th- they are a talented group and Shire last year we saw them kind of flip the switch at the right time. So you would, ex- you would suspect that, you know, playing Clemson this weekend, it might be a moment where we go, Oh yeah, Duke's for real. They're, they're a real contender. And uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to have that conversation at some point. Uh, another team, Alabama, Alabama, Auburn was a great game. Um, it, it looked like a college basketball, you know, major rivalry game. Um, so shout out to both those programs, but Alabama is a conundrum. Um, I like some of the pieces on this team. Mark Sears is a guy who should be in the player of the year conversation. Um, Grant Nelson has moments of, you know, greatness. He has moments of boneheadedness. I can't figure out how to really judge him. I like Jaron Steve. Stevenson, you know, 18-year-old coming off the bench. He's been a nice piece for them. But uh, Nate Oates' team, he said they have to be tougher to win these games. They beat Auburn. That was a big win. Uh, do we think Alabama's a team that we should actually worry about? Because the metrics say yes. The metrics say that they're going to be a Final Four national title type team. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I'm I'm very much the uh, trust the metrics guy and, and like, have kind of been um, breaking that, precedent for Alabama because um I don't think they're the eighth best team in the country like with all due respect to to Ken Palm who again I like you know if you told me I had to take his rankings as exact gospel of how good teams are like uh, relative to any other thing I probably would normally um mm-hmm. but I haven't seen them look you know that the the game at Tennessee um last saturday where they just got run out of the gym by what looked like a vastly superior team it's like you're not a top 10 team alabama like get out of here um but you know they were good against auburn and things were clicking i mean i think the broadcast was interesting like grant nelson was catching a lot of heat i don't remember who's might have been sec network guys or something but whoever was calling the game was was giving grant nelson a lot of heat for not like banging down low and being more of a post player and and kind of trying to avoid contact as opposed to go through it and it's like dude you know, he, the guy's 6'11", like 230. He's not a, a huge guy. Um, mm-hmm. And this is kind of what he is. Like, he stretches the floor and, and gives you some threes and some floor spacing. He's not, like, banging for offensive rebounds on the low block, um, particularly at, at SEC level. Like, maybe he just did <laughs> yeah, that right. at North Dakota State. But, like, um, he's not doing that in the SEC. So, I, I like them. I think, again, they're, they're, their best teams have always secretly been when they're really good defensively. And it's hard to tell because they play so fast. Um, but on a per per trip basis, they're good defensively. They're not that this year. I think they're getting better defensively, and that's kind of the real key for them because 
they would have these. I thought they showed that against Auburn. They would have these games early in the year where you know, against what FAU against um, Arizona, where they just could not get a stop. And if you're not making threes with this Alabama offense, then you're going to lose by 15, 20. Um, so it's a little bit better these days. They, they look a little bit more cohesive, but I still need to see more to think they're like a, you know, any anywhere near as good as, as what their predictive metrics say. Yeah, I feel like the Purdue game is a game that I keep going back to to kind of convince myself that they are one, you know, a team that needs to be reckoned with when it comes to March. But uh, I, I put them in the works in progress. Now let's get to the favorites. I had the Elite Eight. This is basically the Elite Eight in my mind. If, you know, you could just put eight teams in and you say, okay, however this plays out, you know, I feel like one of the best teams in college basketball won the national championship, which is kind of the ultimate goal as far as a uh, objective outlook on what happened during the season. You want to think that the best team in college basketball actually is the national championship. So here we go. Here's the Elite Eight. UConn, UNC, Houston, Arizona, Kentucky, Kansas, Tennessee, Auburn. Um, so that would be the Elite Eight. We got two SEC teams with Tennessee and Auburn. We got two Big 12 teams with Houston and Kansas. Oh, sorry, three with Kentucky uh, SEC teams. And then two Big 12 teams with Houston and Kansas. We got UConn, UNC, Arizona holding it down for their conferences. Um, I think I want to start with UConn, Eamon, because I, I think I am getting to the point where I see a repeat on the horizon, and uh, I have been trying to, to deny it at some level. But if they are healthy and Klingon is playing well, um, I feel like UConn, with Cam Spencer shooting the ball well, can repeat as national champions. Am I crazy to believe that? And should we consider them the favorites at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's right there with with um, Purdue and UConn for me right now. Um, I know we already put Purdue in its own uh, tier. I think UConn is completely agree with you that I'm getting that sort of like, oh, uh, these guys actually could end up being really scary as opposed to just really good. Um, the way they it they feels ninety one ninety two Duke. Not to say it's like Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley, but it, it does feel like it's going to happen at, at some point. We're going to get a repeat again, and and yeah. it does feel like UConn checks a lot of the boxes to make it happen. Well, and they're it's so incredible too, considering what they lost. I mean, they lost mm-hmm. their three best players last year from last year's team, <laughs> right. um, and the you most know, outstanding uh, player, a guy who's playing for the Milwaukee Bucks and a guy who's a lottery pick. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know, they the upsteps Tristan Newton, in comes Cam Spencer, Alex Caravan, excellent all-around player. Um, you know, Donovan Klingon gets hurt, they have Samson Johnson. Okay, he's not as good, but like he's totally viable as mm-hmm. a center and you can play small of Caravan. And he's better than most backups in college basketball. I mean, way better. (laughs) Way better. It's crazy. And so you, you get, um, you get, uh, what it's, uh, what is basically a totally different team surrounded by totally different, you know, built around totally different players that nonetheless feels as deep and as overwhelming as that UConn team did during last year's tournament where they just beat everybody. They'd go on big runs, um, you know, they, they'd go 12, 14 to two run and you're done. The game's over. You're never catching them again. That's kind of where this UConn team feels like it's heading. Um, and, you know, Villanova could have won that game last Saturday. Um, you know, UConn had to survive and grind it out a little bit against a, a bunch of old, um, you know, experienced and wily Villanova players. Uh, they, they have not taken as many lumps in conference play as they did last year, uh, particularly in the month of January. Maybe a, a stretch like that is coming where people will lose faith in them. But I'm I'm trying to take last year's instruction um, or last year's example as instructive and say, uh, you know, if they lose three in a row here, I'm not going to start thinking that UConn can't win the national title. I'm just, we're, you know, whatever happens, barring like they lose out or something, um, I'm I'm pretty much all in on UConn from here on out. 
Yeah, until I see them play a single-digit game in the NCAA tournament, I think I'm going to go ahead and suspect that they're <laughs> going to win every game by double digits in the tournament. And uh, Villanova, as soon as they realize that they shouldn't be shooting as many threes as they do and they play through Eric Dixon, then I'll start to believe in Vill- Villanova a little bit more. I, I don't understand. They they take, I think they're 200 and something in, in percentage from three, but they take like top 10 amount of threes like last time I checked. So, I mean, they, and if you watch it, that passes the eye test. You're like, what is going on here? Even, oh, it's even, bad. It's bad even to watch. Dixon. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. So it's like, I, it's, I, you, you want to make the math work for you in that like, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just do volume. Like, yeah, we'll just, <laughs> right. you know, we'll just get, get shots up and, and get the rebounds. Like Houston kind of does that. Yeah. Right. But like when you're shooting it the way they're shooting it and you're not Houston necessarily on the offensive glass, like oof, it's hard to. It's and hard you to don't watch. defend like Houston. You know what I mean? No, like exactly, that's the other yeah. that's the other part. I mean, it, the, so Villanova, that's a separate conversation. The other team I want to talk about quickly, the favorites, Kansas, Johnny Furphy. Uh, they have been looking for that fifth guy. Weirdly enough, Furphy with the the core four of Kansas has not played well as far as a lineup. Um, but himself individually, he has been the piece that they've been waiting for. The Australian, he stepped up, he's hit some big shots, had 23 points the other night. Um, do we think that Furphy's addition gets Kansas back in the conversation as a team that could go all the way in Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, it, it's really important. I think uh, Evan Miyakawa, who's a uh, who has Shout his own stats. Evan. Shout yeah. out to Evan. He has his own stats site. It's really interesting stuff. Um, did ran a ran a thing through his model where he was looking for like the best, the, a list of the best fifth guys on their team, like the most valuable fifth fifth uh, options on their team. And I think Cam Spencer at UConn was number one, and El Marco Jackson was sixtieth or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so. That that has been Kansas's whole all year. Great four man core. The the fifth player is either a freshman guard who's not settling in very well, uh, or you know a sort of a mix of guys who um, don't necessarily work with that. But, you know, it needs to it sh- should ideally be a point guard or a shooter. And Furphy is the shooter. And so if he mm-hmm. if he can um, can stick defensively and can can make open shots, um, then he's probably the guy who should be playing. Talk about a sliding doors moment in college basketball in the new transfer portal era. It's like they wanted Nick Timberlake, UConn, I'm talking about. They wanted Nick Timberlake, uh, you know, out of Towson. He was supposed to be their guy. Timberlake decides to go to Kansas. Um, and then they get Cam Spencer from Rutgers. And now Cam Spencer, I, I think he's the one that swings UConn in the right direction. Like if he's hitting shots, UConn's going to win by 15 plus double digits at the, at the very least. He's kind of like the swinger of that team. Um, and then, you know, you look at Timberlake, you can't get off the bench at Kansas, right? right now and and it's already kind of looked like they've moved on from that experiment um it, what does Kansas look like if Cam Spencer ends up going to get you know what I mean there's yeah. there's two there's two crazy scenarios here that happened that actually you know benefited UConn uh at the highest level well and, Sp- and Spencer is like you know he's like Hurley's spirit animal yeah they're like right. the same guy he's like Hurley on the court yeah he's he a maniac is. he's they're like the same dude and it's and Klingon's like to... big Hurley you know what I mean it's yeah, like he is, yeah yeah he is he is um yeah, I think I don't know. There might have been a couple of weeks ago where uh, one of the sideline reporters tweeted that Danny Hurley was asking a Big East official calmly, "Do you have a personal problem with me?" He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "Yeah, he probably does." Honestly, yes, absolutely, right? he definitely does. <laughs> Rightfully um, so, probably. Yeah, probably correctly so. Uh, yeah, no, I, that's really interesting. I mean, I was just looking at Timberlake's stats. Like he shot the the cover off the ball at Towson last year. Yeah, like, right. I don't wonder what happened there. Um, he just 
not shooting it well enough to stay on the floor if you're not doing some other stuff right or whatever. Um, I feel like yeah, it compounds too. Like you miss your first couple shots, then everyone's talking like the only reason you're here is because you're such a great shooter. And then you're just like kind of pressing a little bit. You're not yeah. shooting the ball with confidence. I mean, you know, I, I feel like it's like a, you know, a, 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 a snowball effect at some level for him. So hopefully he figures it out. But I mean, Furphy's the, the bright spot for Kansas. Like if he can shoot the ball like he has been, I think that kind of shores up things for McCullough and Harris and Dickinson. You know what I mean? Now they can do what they need to do. And uh, it makes Kansas one of those teams to watch. So those are the favorites, the Elite Eight. Do you have any team uh, that's not on my list? I know I put a lot of I put a lot of teams that could win the national championship, but I feel like we're so early in the season. You almost have to give people the benefit of the doubt, the room to grow, and things like that. But if there's another team out there that I miss, you know, I'm sure some people might say Nebraska um, is a team. But until I see them win an NCAA tournament game, I can't say they're a title contender. You know no, what I mean? No, I mean, Nebraska will be happy to be in the tournament. Let's be real. Right. Win a game. Yeah. Yes. That, that is a, um, an important accomplishment for that program just to get to the tournament. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, not really. I don't think we missed anybody. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of categories, like if Duke gets there, maybe Duke gets into that top category. Yeah, alongside, the favorites. alongside Auburn, but Ma- that's the yeah, one, maybe we maybe drop outlier. Auburn down. Yeah, I, yeah, Auburn's still got to beat a good team. Um, I'm that's giving true. them the benefit of the doubt because Janai Broom, I think, is one of the top five, top ten players in the country. Whatever you want to say, I think he's great. I yeah. love Aiden Holloway. I, I think he's been a nice addition there in the backcourt. But I think the biggest problem with Auburn, and the reason I have like my reservations to believe, is because of Katie Johnson, and Katie Johnson is like feast or famine uh, to the max. I've never oh, seen anything God. quite like it. You know what he's I mean? My, still, he's like my favorite college basketball player. And <laughs> talk about maniacs. Like the guy's an unhinged presence on win, the court. He, he could take Auburn to the final four, you know what I mean, with a remarkable run, uh, a la like a Remy Martin type situation. And you'd be <laughs> like, yeah, that's Katie Johnson. Or he could have like the most boneheaded play possible and they lose a the game in the second round. And he, you say that's the most 18. Katie Johnson. He'll, he'll go possible. one for 18 or something. Like, and you're like, how did... Katie Johnson get 18 shots up. It's like, (laughs) you know, even Bruce Pearl doesn't know. It just happened. Yeah. Shout out to Katie Johnson. Uh, Shout out to getting the FGAs up. Uh, Even shout out to you for coming on the show, man. We appreciate it. Where can we find all your work so people can stay up to date? Yeah. Hoop stuff is at emanbrennan.com. And uh, it's it's a Substack, So you can um, kick me a few bucks a month if you want to read everything I do. Uh, If not, that's cool too. (laughs) <laughs> you're the best no pressure uh, man yeah appreciate the bubble watch uh it's it's great stuff and uh you know appreciate you coming on and, and letting us sift through the landscape of college basketball and uh we'll have you back soon man appreciate you thank you have a good one all right there you have it eamon Brennan, the best uh love doing tier talk on this show we always love tier talk here in the college basketball world before we get into some shout outs in the college basketball world i want to start with koc's draft guide This is a big deal. He's been doing it for eight years at the Ringer. I just had him on Through the Ringer yesterday, and I peppered him with questions about this draft guide. If you have not seen it, um, the international players are taking over again. It was a good run for college basketball, but it looks like the international guys are back. Uh, Alex Saar is going to be the number one pick from France, playing in Perth right now. But we do have a college basketball guy at number two, Cody Williams. uh, Brother of Jalen Williams, who's playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, played for Herb Sindek in Santa Clara. Uh, Cody Williams is the first guy on the board and Kyle, we have our first shades of, of the season. It is our guy, Jalen Rose shades of Jalen Rose for Cody Williams. Hmm. <laughs> I did not expect to see Jalen Rose shade shades of so early in my life, but shout out to Jalen Rose. Just saw him do an interview with Birdman 
uh, where they talked about what happened to that boy and how Pharrell produced it. And it was the first time that Birdman worked without, you know, Manny Fresh on the beat. It was a whole moment. And Jalen Rose, shout out to you and shout out to you to get getting the first shades up of our college guys. Next up, number five, Jacoby Walter uh, out of Baylor, six foot five freshman. But, uh, you know, shades of Chris Middleton. Now, Kyle, I will have to point this out. Chris Middleton is six foot seven. Um, so we need about two inches to get the shades uh, of what we want for Jacoby Walter. I see him more as like a Buddy Hill type, shades of Buddy Hill. But here comes the real conversation point and what I talked to Kevin about. Reed Shepard, Kentucky's very own at number six on the big board. Um, this is a guy who looks like he'd be at my family reunion. And now he is number six on an NBA draft board. Um, and he is shades of Derek White. And if you know anything about the ringer, they love Derek White, and they think Derek White should be an All Star. Um, they love they love the Whites. They love Reed Shepard. They like Derek White, and uh, right now at number six on the draft board is Reed Shepard. And number seven is Rob Dillingham, North Carolina's finest. Uh, shades of Lou Williams, Bones Highland. So, uh, and then the next guy is also a college basketball guy, Stephon Castle at UConn. So there you go. Those are the college basketball guys that are on the draft guide. Um, I ribbed KOC a little bit about Reed Shepard being number six, but I do see it. I do see why Reed Shepard is so beloved, but um, it's going to be hard when you have guys in a class uh, like, let's say Reed Shepard goes before Stephon Castle. You see those two guys standing next to each other. It's like Zach Wilson at the NFL draft when he was just trying to find somebody to hang out with. And they're like, yo, get this kid away from me. Um, so Reed Shepard, uh, shout out to you. Great hands, great game, very cerebral. All the words. Uh, KOC called him a spark plug, Kyle. I thought that was good. Um, that that was nice. Uh, shout nice out to the Bubble Watch draft guy. I did. Love it. I, I, uh, the, <laughs> we got to do the, it. We have to do it. There's no choice. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. So hey, Bill uh, took a big dump all over this uh, this class. Um, right. He said it's the worst one in 11 years. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> do you think that's correct? Or do you think he loves like, the number 11? He loves the number nine. He loves the number seven. Shout out to our guy, <laughs> Bill Simmons. Uh, yeah, he, he basically texted me and was like, this is the 2013 draft. Tell me who Giannis is, which is one of the funniest prompts <laughs> I think I've ever been given by Bill. I'll so get I, right on I, that. Hold on. Let me take a look. <laughs> maybe that's a bit for us. This year, we're, we're just trying to find who is Giannis. Because uh, in case you forgot, Anthony Bennett out of UNLV went number one in 2013. Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, out of Greece went number 15 in that draft. So uh, we'll try to figure out who the 15th pick is. According to KOC, the 15th pick this year should be Dalton Connect out of Tennessee. Oh, so uh, good question. Maybe that is, is Giannis. Is Dalton Connect, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Shades of Contavious Caldwell Pope, and Max Struess is what KOC mm. is saying. That does not sound like Giannis to me. Um, but neither but, did 2013 Giannis. Yeah, neither. Yeah, exactly. And he was a lot smaller of a guy. So maybe Dalton Connect can get on that Giannis strength plan. So uh, KOC's draft guide, go to theringer.com, go check it out. Um, I have been shocked. Uh, I have been, uh, you know, mouth agape, all the things as I read through it. But uh, shout out to him. 11 years of KOC putting a draft guide together and uh, it starts great conversation. So you love to see that. All right, let's get into some shout outs. Let's shout out the big inflatables. If you've not seen these across college basketball, let's highlight three of the big ones. The Campbell Camel. Um, shout out to Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, the Campbell Camels. Um, they have a huge inflatable camel in the arena, Kyle. Have you seen these inflatables? So uh, this is a new thing that's happening. But there is a camel at Campbell. They're at Western Illinois, the Leathernecks. There's a giant bulldog. Obviously, their mascot is a bulldog. And then at Seattle U, shout out to Seattle U, they have a giant red hawk. 
um, who is sitting over in the corner. So there's literally three giant inflatables that we've seen in college basketball. It is becoming more of a thing. John Fance has fired up about the Campbell Camel. Uh, Campbell won that game with the Camel, you know, inflated in the building. So um, this is a new trend. And I wanted to highlight the trend because these inflatables they're, they're, you know, they get your attention. I don't know really what they do, but they obviously have some sort of good luck behind them. It seems like a good thing, like um, if you're selling like GA seats or something and you know, like you're not going to have enough, be like, all right, we'll just put, we'll just push this in the corner and maybe you won't see, we won't have anyone right. sit there. And now you've just got this big thing. It's like, it's like a pers- matter of perspective, right? That sounds like it's a good seat idea. filler. You're, yeah. you're right about this. You put it in the corner where a bunch of seats are. And now it looks like the gym is packed because yeah. there's a giant inflatable. And then people want to sit near the inflatable. They want to look at the inflatable. <laughs> right. uh, they might not even have to watch the basketball if it's bad. I think it's good stuff. So we need more inflatables in college basketball. Shout out to those three schools for making it happen. Also, shout out to Pac-2 undefeated against Arizona, the best team in the Pac-12 this year. Um, in case you missed it last night. Pac-12 after dark, Oregon State, Jordan Pope, a buzzer beater to beat Arizona. We talked a little bit with Eamon about that. But uh, yeah, the Pac-2, Washington State, Oregon State, undefeated against the best of the Pac-12. So we love to see that. And then Bill Walton, uh, a quote from him, he said, this is why we live. This is why we play. This is why we are the Conference of Champions. And uh, I think that is a great call, um, you know, in the last year of the Pac-12, in the last year of the Conference of Champions, before it is officially the Pac-2, Bill Walton, getting to witness uh, a memorable moment there in the Pac-12. Uh, next up, shout out to the SWAC. Nobody in the SWAC. Uh, the SWAC, one of my favorite conferences in college basketball. But unfortunately, right now, nobody in the SWAC has an overall winning record, um, which is unprecedented stuff. So, um, so they're I, I either was, really good or really bad, I guess. <laughs> well, I think it shows that they took a lot of the buy games, right? Cause you can get paid to play the swag and the swag's like, we'll take the cash. We'll take some L's <laughs> right. and then, and then we'll get into conference play and we'll, we'll sort this whole thing out. So shout out to the swag, uh, shout out to Duquesne. I thought this would be great for you, Kyle. They're having dollar beer Saturday. Um, Obviously, a lot of dollar beer nights that happen in college basketball, but uh, Duquesne is jumping in on Saturday, and uh, I feel like eventually, Kyle, you might have to go to that dollar beer Saturday. Interesting, because I remember we were having these arguments. Well, I guess not me technically, but I remember people <laughs> were having these arguments about right. whether they could sell beer in football stadiums, and now they're how far we've come. It's dollar beer night. It's dollar beer night, and uh, shout out to everybody. Uh, speaking of alcohol, putt for Pappy. If you didn't see this at the Louisville game, a man sunk a 94-foot putt across the court at halftime of the Louisville game, and he won a 15-year-old bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, which is wow. a, a bourbon that everybody is. Uh, it's like the bourbon. It is the one. Yeah, right. Everybody wants like a bottle of Pappy. My Uncle Tommy, at Christmas time, he'll always, you know, you know, he'll try to sneak you a little bit of Pappy. It's really for him, but he's like, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. I'll give you a little taste. Just enough. Just remind you how go, fucking cool I am. <laughs> right. And then you go back to Maker's Mark 46 or whatever you're drinking. You know what I mean? You're like, ah, just got a taste of it. It was good. Um, So yeah, the alcohol was working well in college basketball. Love to see that. Uh, This is a fun story. TCU women's team, if you didn't see this, they had to hold tryouts because of all their injuries. So they had to oh get student God. body to join their team. Kyle, the replacements. Which, this is incredible. Re- this is incredible. Um, And women's basketball in general, they just have better storylines. This is a perfect example of it. So they have tryouts. They have some regular students join the team and guess what they do? They go and get a win. They beat oh, UCF, which uh, wow. UCF has to be feeling and, you know, a little shook about this. They, they're probably reeling. But uh, it's a great story. I wish that men's basketball had more open tryouts during the year, especially when teams are losing. They're just like, 
we got to get better players in the building. There's got to be somebody on campus that's better. Um, it was always like a, a dream to hear that, you know, I mean, I always would have dreams like Carolina's like, we need, <laughs> you know, Kendall Marshall went down. We need somebody else on the bench. And I'm Stand like, in the corner, man. We need someone. I'm a, Which I'm a great guys? locker room guy. I'm total vibes. Uh, I'm Theo Pinson in the NBA. You know what I mean? And I'm not afraid <laughs> to talk to other people, you know what I mean? On the other team on behalf of our stars, you know what I mean? I'll save them, you know, that battle, but uh TCU women's team shout, shout out to them. Uh, they get the win. They have the tryouts, and uh, it's great for college basketball. Shout out to Zach Eady, the National Player of the Year. He was in the crowd, Kyle. I don't know if you saw this picture. He's literally in the crowd, and he's wearing sunglasses. Um, and a lot of people are pointing this out. He's in, in the basketball arena watching a game, wearing sunglasses, and people are saying he's doing this to disguise himself. Mm. But I have to you can't argue, disguise yourself as a seven footer. You're seven foot four, so you can't disguise yourself. Number one, but number two, Kyle, he has a Purdue shirt on. So if he was going to be disguising himself, I think he should wear another school shirt or maybe just a regular plain black T-shirt or something like that. But to wear a Purdue shirt that obviously like if you had any doubt in your mind, you're like, man, that, that's a pretty tall guy. Kind of looks like what I would think Zach Eady looks like. Oh, yeah. He has a Purdue shirt on. Of course, that's Zach Eady, Right. I mean, yeah, it seems like a more superstar thing than an incognito thing. But like, exactly, was, it just a Purdue, was it just a Purdue shirt or was it like a, a custom sick one? Because usually no. the sunglasses go with a well put together outfit. So maybe he just was caught in the middle and he was like, ah, I don't know. I want to be a guy that has swag, but I actually have no swag. Not unlike myself. So I don't know. I, I think it was one of those things where it was superstar mode. You know, people were trying to say he's trying to disguise himself. But I think this is more like, you know, sitting in the crowd, sunglasses on, you know, primetime Deion San Sanders type of stuff. You know what I mean? Which sure. Your national player of the year, you're trying to go back to back. Respect to that, Zach Eady, but maybe don't have the Purdue shirt if you're trying to be incognito. That's my advice. Uh, Coach Jerome Tang was pissed about the Iowa State fans, um, and uh, they were going after him. There was a lot of uh, viral moments from the Kansas State-Iowa State game. If you didn't see it, go check it out. But um, he was pissed at Iowa State fans, and while he was yelling about the fans, uh, there's, a, there's a guy at the scores table. Uh, Kyle, I don't know if you saw this either. He's eating a Twizzler. It was like a very like it looked like out of, you know, freaking Talladega Nights or semi pro or one of these like, you know, Will Ferrell vintage comedies. You know, this is happening. He's yelling at the official and it's just a guy with the Twizzler just like jawing it down. Just like <laughs> he's at the movie theaters like Michael Jackson eating the popcorn. You know what I mean? So uh, chew on it with a Twizzler. Yeah, exactly. Great for Twizzlers. And uh, if they need us to promote Twizzlers, we'll do that in a heartbeat. Uh, also want to shout out top 10 2025 player Bryson Tiller. Not that Bryson Tiller. Uh, wow. This is, yeah, yeah. I thought you would Bryson like Bryson B. Tiller? <laughs> <laughs> Bryson, Bryson B. Tiller is what we will call him. He's going to be at Providence this weekend, um, and that is going to be a heck of an atmosphere. So love to see that. Um, oh, last one before we get into games to watch. Uh, Akron basketball. John Gross, uh, they have won seven in a row, 11 out of 12 games. Um, and then Freeman, their best player who leads the country in rebounds, uh, he said, quote, after this game, winning is deodorant. You can't get lost in any night. You see so many nights in basketball where any night anyone can win. You have to bring it every night. Um, and in case you missed it, Akron has never won an NCAA tournament game. A lot of people are talking about Nebraska, how they've never won a tournament game, 0-7. Akron has never won a tournament game. They're a really good basketball team. They had a great um, you know, out of conference schedule this year, the best one they've ever had. So circle Akron basketball as a, a team to watch. So um, that, that was just something I wanted to point out. I feel like everyone's talking about Nebraska, Kyle. Let's talk about uh, our guys down there at Akron and uh, John Gross is a good coach. So uh, we'd love to see that. Um, shout out. Can I give you my quick out. headlines? Please. Let's do some shout okay. outs from Kyle. 
Detroit Mercy still defeated. 0-21. and 21. Just, I hope they, at this point, do you just hope they continue <laughs> this way? And, and I don't know if this is making history. If it's not even making history by losing every single game, then maybe you should try to win one. But uh, I don't know. It's just impressive to point out. We pointed it out a couple weeks ago. Still, still defeated. Yeah, still defeated. And uh, I don't think there's any hope. Um, that's that's what we're getting to. And I do think the best thing to do now, when you're the worst, you have to go for history. Um, th- that's how I've always felt about football teams. You know, like when the Lions, they go 0-16. Like, that's the move. The move is to go for history. If you're already that bad, now you're going to be talked about forever. You might get a documentary. Um you know, just go, go all, if you're going to get blown out, get thrown out. Um, and that is the motto of the show. And I like to see that they're saying, we're not going to win. We're going to go over. So shout out to them. Okay. Speaking of losing, here's three coaches who had some pretty good post game quotes. They were the losers, but I think maybe they came out the winners. Mick Cronin loses to Arizona and calls it an unofficiated street fight. <laughs> I think that's just some great cleanup duty there. Good job, Mick. Um, it, was an, it wasn't us. It was an unofficiated street fight. Uh, we were able to pass and move and run offense the first half. Then the game became an unofficiated street fight, and we had to spread it out and drive the ball. We couldn't throw a pass. So, sorry to you. Um, Bruce Pearl loses uh, to Alabama and jokes that they didn't have to turn the lights off to get a new basketball facility. Uh, mm. If they were winners, I think that would come off a little better, but it's still kind of funny. I guess the 30 seconds into the game, the lights went out and that took 15 minutes. So it's like, if you guys want a new facility, just get a new facility. You don't have to turn the lights off. LOL. And they kept playing in the dark. Uh, so shout out to both teams. That was an electric game. I uh, I was a big fan of how that game played out. So Auburn, Alabama, you have my attention moving forward. I mean, not to say that it hasn't been good the past few years, but it feels like a real rivalry game now. So um, the lights were just like another layer of that. It yeah. just felt like the energy was insane. So shout out to Bruce Pearl. Shout out to that game. Okay. Uh, Leonard Hamilton loses to Clemson, <laughs> and he calls it human nature catching up to Florida State. He says human nature is what it is. You have a tendency when you go from being the hunter to the hunted. That's a big change. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. it's not, we, we're not fucking up. It's just human nature. It's not, yeah. what time he out? Was, he was know. listening. <laughs> yeah. He was listening to music in the locker room. And he was like, why? Why? <laughs> and then it was human nature. You know what I mean? That's what it was. This is like, I got to find my week, Rick Patino quote every week. This is from Fox's <laughs> The Patino Chronicles. It's really it doesn't mean anything. It's just this quote. He says, I was with Pitbull, a friend of mine, and he told me it's the most special place. This is talking about uh, MSG. And he told me it's the most special place ever to get on a stage at. I just love that I was with Pitbull, a friend of mine from Rick Patino. I think that's great. I, <laughs> I love that Rick is like, he is fully going all the way in. He's like, I'm a superstar. I'm a celebrity. I'm friends with other celebrities and superstars. And then he's on Twitter and he's commenting on everything. Uh, I saw, I sent you the clip where he was talking about him and Joel Soriano, like drinking tequila together. You Definitely know, Casamigos. Like, yeah, absolutely Casamigos, uh, which shout out to George Clooney, his friend, his personal friend, George Clooney. Not um, as good as Pitbull, but they go way back. They go way back. Uh, so yeah, Rick Pitino, he's on fire right now and uh, swept Villanova for the first time since you yes. and I were born, 92-93. So Rick Pitino, uh, shout out to you. We love to see it. Should we do some games to watch, Kyle? Um, yes. I'll, I'll start peppering you with games to watch. And then if there's anything I miss, you throw in some games you had as well. First up, Iowa State, Kansas. Uh, Iowa State trying to win the Big 12. 
Kansas trying to stay in the race as well. So this is going to be a great game, uh, a great atmosphere, and I'm excited to see both these teams. we got UNC FSU. Um, this is going to be a tough game for North Carolina. For the sake of the ACC, I think Florida State has to win this game, uh, but for the sake of my personal preference and my heart and my head, I want the Tar Heels to go down to Tallahassee and get a win. You got your you got family involved in this game, so you're going to probably be pulling for FSU. So we got a house divided here at One Shining Podcast, uh, but it will be a fun game, and I think FSU, I'm not, I'm not going to say they're going to win this game, but uh, I've seen plenty of games down there in Kate, Tallahassee. It's that just human nature. It's, it's just, just human, human nature. nature. The hunter, human, don't be the hunted. You, yeah, he's going to hunt. Uh, they're they're going to hunt down there, and they got a lot of length. And Armando Baycott has always struggled against Florida State's size and length, so watch out for that one. Georgetown Providence, this is Ed yes. Cooley's rec- return to the amp. Um, this is going to be an electric atmosphere. I think Chris Beard, when he went back to Texas Tech, but instead of Texas Tech fans, you're going to get the Northeastern, uh, you know, just absolute just disgust. Uh, they are going to be disgusted Lots of by Ed Cooley's return, so we're going to watch that one. It's going to be fun. And also, uh, Bryson Tiller are going to be in the building. Um, not that one, but the other one. Uh, Purdue Rutgers is going to be a fun game. Purdue's Achilles Hill has been Rutgers. Rutgers has been able to, to kind of get one over on them. So Steve Peichel's team, that'll be a good one. Dayton, Richmond, A-10 showdown. I like this Richmond team. Dayton's one of the most fun teams in the country, a team that can make a run. Did you pick this because Dayton needs a little more shine, or is Richmond a good enough team that this will be a Richmond, great game? Is it, or is it time good. to pay attention to Dayton? Rich Richmond is good. Dayton is good. Um, and it's gonna be a good game. But I mean, Dayton, we're talking about national, you yes. know, recognition good. Richmond is like eight ten recognition good, but maybe, maybe they're gonna get their national attention by getting a win against Dayton. So I like both these teams. Uh Texas Tech, Oklahoma. I am still trying to figure out if Oklahoma's for real. They did not look for real against North Carolina in my one full game of really diving into them. I've seen spots of this Oklahoma team, uh, but Texas Tech will be a test, so that'll be a fun one. Seton Hall, Marquette, Shaheen yeah. Holloway, Shaka Smart. My God. I mean, that is that is two a hot battle. Teams. Two hot teams, two coaches that, uh, you know, I think Shaka gets the treatment that Shaheen wants. I like it. I like I like the animosity. It feels very old biggies. So Seton Hall, Marquette, watch that one. Duke Clemson. This is a good battle. Uh, two tournament teams, obviously. Uh, and Duke is trying to show the world that they're in the same class as the Tar Heels, that they can make a run to the Final Four. Clemson trying to make sure that they stay on the right side of the bubble because the bubble boys they are anti-ACC and uh, maybe even more than ever. So that'll be a good game. Uh, TCU-Baylor will be a fun game as well. We got Jamie Dixon. We got S- Scott Drew, Jacoby Walter, who's on KOC's big board, will be in this game. So that'll be a fun one. Um, TCU-Baylor and uh, Baylor's got to figure it out who they really are. Um, but I, I think they have a lot of talent on that team. Uh, Colorado-Washington State. Um, this is a quick tangent here. Do you say Colorado or Colorado? Um, I say Colorado. I, I say Colorado as well, but I used to say Nevada, and then I had Nevada people killed me over this. So then I went to Nevada, and now I have uh, some Colorado people in my life telling me that it's Colorado because it's so rad. And I have never heard this, Kyle, and I don't want it to be true. But I just wanted to point out. I might have just um, said shut up to whoever said that to me (laughs) in a nice, funny way. Like, shut the fuck up. But I don't know. I I, I don't like that. I don't like it. So Colorado, Washington State, uh, shout out to the Cougs. They're a fun team. And Colorado, Cody Williams, who's number one, or actually number two, but really number one on the big board when it comes to college basketball guys. We got U- UCLA, USC this weekend. Yes. Uh, we're excited about that one. Showdown in Los Angeles. You and I will be tuned into that one. Uh, Nevada, New Mexico will be a fun game. Uh, Steve Alford going to take on New Mexico. In the pit, uh, Arizona, Oregon. And then last one, Xavier, UConn, Dan Hurley, Sean Miller. 
Um, that's all I got. Kyle, is there anything else? Any other games I've got that you a couple. had on your board? Uh, Kansas State, Houston. What do you think? Yes. Kansas Good. State. Okay. Good. That's Saturday. We got Kentucky, Arkansas, right? Mm-hmm. That's Saturday. That is the college game day, day uh, game, by the way. Okay. So they are going to be in Fayetteville for that one. And uh, we need the must bus to get back on the rails. So maybe this is a chance in prime time to let people know he's still there. So well, maybe um, bring it close. But we got we got to do a Kyle man on Monday and he's already got a loss he's dealing with. So, <laughs> yeah, so we, we got to keep get, it close. Just beat we'll the spread, keep, but don't don't win. Yeah, um, don't win. Let's keep Kyle Mann locked into college basketball. We don't want to lose him too soon. But yeah. luckily for him, he's got Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham in the top 10 of the Rieger draft guys. Hell so yeah, I think he does. That'll keep him connected uh, at some level. But yeah, pre- appreciate everybody uh, tuning oh, in, Oh, I got more games, oh, buddy. Oh, oh, please, please, please. You got, well, got more games? I got oh, Texas God. BYU. Okay, that's a good one. Okay, yeah. fine. I got Pitt Miami just because Pitt, is, Pitt can really embarrass you, it turns out. So, uh, Blake Henson. And, and Co- yeah, and Coach L, I hope he's ready. And I got <laughs> NC State Syracuse because you said Syracuse is officially a team to watch. We know look, NC State's got some you. killers. And You're then an on ACC Sunday, guy. yeah. Oh my and God. then on Sunday we got, uh, you know, it's before the game, so you could fit it in. Marist at Kinesius. So um, there you go. Those are my the games. Fighting, to watch. The fighting Rick Smiths on Sunday. Uh, lock yes. into that game. Shout out to Marist. Uh, shout out to my guy Derek Phelps, uh, Carolina point guard, who's an assistant coach for Marist. Kyle. So we got Love a nice that. little connection there. Um, yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend in college basketball. I appreciate everybody tuning in. Thanks to Eamon for coming on the show. We will be back on Monday with Kyle Mann, a manic Monday. And I think there's like 150 college basketball games on Saturday alone. So yeah, uh, if, you wanna, if you want to dive in, dive in on Saturday. Enjoy the football on Sunday. And again, we will see you on Monday. Thanks again to our friends at FanDuel. Must be 21 or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit CCP org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.